how you pay attention and where you put your attention is determining pretty much everything that's happening in your life. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. So let's dive in and get started. Today's guest is Dr. Tom Cowan. Tom is a holistic physician. He is the author of many amazing books, including Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, The Fourfold Path to Healing, Cancer and the New Biology of Water, and he's co-author of the Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You've said that diversity is everything when it comes to the, the gut microbiome as well as the soil in your garden. And uh, as I was telling you before, Tom, it, it seems as though, you know, I went into the city yesterday, into Boston, and there's hand sanitizer everywhere you look. And it seems as though there's this war on microbes and we're trying to reduce our diversity um, rather than try to create more diversity. Uh, would you say that we're, we're headed in the wrong direction? We are headed in the wrong direction. <laughs> and the way, the way for people to understand this is actually very simple. And the best example I use is, and it gets into, you know, so-called germ theory versus terrain theory. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say you take a cow and for whatever reason, you don't feed the cow proper cow food, which is pastured grass. Instead, as we know, you feed the cow, you know, dead cow parts and cardboard and grains and you dip it in uh, arsenic and you spray glyphosate on it because you're killing whatever and you end up with a sick cow, right? That actually has happened a lot in the history of mankind. Then somebody drinks the milk and they get sick and they get diarrhea. And you say to yourself or the medical profession says to themselves, I wonder what happened here. So they do an investigation and they look at the milk and they find a bacteria called listeria, which isn't usually in the milk, but the spores and it's, it's always there. It's just not usually in that amount. So they say, I wonder if the listeria is causing this person to be sick. So then they look into the stool of the person with diarrhea who drank the milk and interestingly, they find the same bacteria, listeria. And that proves that the listeria caused the person to be sick. And that's basically the germ theory. The problem with that explanation is there actually is a very, another very reasonable explanation, which is you poison the cow. And we know that all the poisons come out in the milk. And listeria, as you suggested, is just one of the billions of different organisms that are always living in the milk, in our tissues, in our gut. You know, the world is teeming with all these bacteria. And because you poison the milk in a very particular way, the listeria start to grow. And that's why you see this milk with lots of listeria. 
So again, the listeria are bioremediating, degrading the toxins in the milk. Now, the question is, so in that case, it's not the listeria that are making you sick. It's the milk that makes you sick, and the listeria are there to help you out. That's sort of this microbial diversity that we're talking about. When we need listeria, they show up. So that puts this whole microbial diversity issue in, in another light. Because, yes, we are supposed to have as many diverse bacteria, fungus, probably even viruses in the soil, in your eyelids, in your gut, everywhere. They're not there to cause disease. In fact, interestingly, when this whole germ theory was, was formulated in the late 1800s, they thought that, that there was no bacteria, fungus, virus, they didn't know about viruses, but any microorganism living in any animal, except if they were there as an infection. And this, this superstition persisted even until the 1960s, when doctors at that point still thought that if there was a bacteria living inside you, it, it had to have come from the outside, and it was there as an infection, disease-causing organism. Now we would think that that's laughable. Right now, it seems like we're 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 sterilizing everything we're pasteurizing everything what what are some ways that we can create more diversity in our guts in our bodies um if if it is an important thing to have how 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 as modern day humans can we do this it's a good question and the answer is very simple it will happen by itself if you stop poisoning yourself <laughs> okay i mean the reason there's low diversity in the soil is because we put, you know, glyphosate, which essentially is an antibiotic, and other, you know, herbicides and fungicides and sterilizing agents, and we also starve the soil of nutrients, and whatever will grow there is just growing there because there's food there. So if you put in good food into the soil, which basically is compost, and, you know, there's some other things, but or if you put good food into you, which, you know, basically is what I would say nourishing traditions diet, which is basically the diet that humans have thrived on for, you know, millennia uh, in all its various permutations. And that includes, you know, everything from bone broth to sauerkraut to kefir and yogurt. So you're, you know, beet kvass. So you're eating cultured food all the time. Because the whole point is to feed and encourage, you know, healthy microbial population. But you don't need really to do anything like you don't need to take probiotics. In fact, they don't really work. And for good reasons, they don't work. Um, you just need to eat good food and stop poisoning yourself. And if you do that, nature takes care of the rest. That's great. And and would you say some there's also some important lifestyle strategies as far as getting out into nature and doing things like being connected to the to the natural world? I mean, human beings are a essentially an, an energetic crystallization of the energy from the cosmos meeting up with the water in our tissues and along with, you know, a few proteins and lipids and minerals mixed in to create a living organism. So, for instance, if your strategy is to 
not expose yourself to the earth and the sun and the stars and the moon and all the rest of it and to uh, elk and butterflies and bees and all the rest. You are living an impoverished life, which is actually what most people live these days because the only energetic frequencies they're exposed to are those that are man-made and coming through electronic devices, which are an extremely limited and toxic version of these electromagnetic energetic fields which create life, which life evolved with. Humans need to be in the sun. They need to be doing things on the earth. They need to be in connection with other people and other animals and other plants and bees and butterflies and whales. Uh, they need all of that. The more the diverse, the better. And we are heading down a track of, I would call it radical impoverishment. Absolutely. I've heard you mention Rudolf Steiner and how he talked a lot about how the real virus is fear. And we seem to be having tremendous amounts of fear, fear on all sides. I mean, there's people who are fear of a virus. There's people who are afraid of, um, you know, the government. There, there's just fear everywhere. Tom, what do, what do you think? And maybe you've already said it, but what do you think is the antidote to all of this fear? Uh, truth and facts. Once you understand how the ideas that, that are being propagate, promulgated, I think is the word, <laughs> and you realize how impoverished these theories and these ideas are, then you realize that there's nothing to be afraid of. Fear is, is a disease-causing uh, energetic emotion that is wreaking havoc right now and will sicken millions of people unless we get a handle on it. Without question. Um, Tom, aside from diet, do you have any um, practices that you do like meditation or anything to calm the mind that might be very overactive right now? Uh, I mean, it's a good question. Um, the, the, but the interesting thing about that is what do we mean by the mind? Now, I would say this is another area where we are uh, basically working under a number of superstitions. So let me just describe some of these superstitions in conventional science and medicine. Number one, the mind is a somehow an excretion or secretion of the brain. Now, there's actually no evidence for that. In fact, I would submit that if you took any human being and dissected their brain down to the smallest particle, you will not find something called a mind. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about that is these same scientists and doctors, they have an adamant belief that only physical reality, physical substance exists however, can't be proven. And in fact, some, one of the things that in my impish self, I like to do to somebody who says, only that which can be quantified and measured exists. That's the basis of medical education now. So fair enough. And then I'll say, do you love your wife? And they say, of course. And then I'll say, how much? <laughs> like 27 as opposed to 30? or 108, and if they say you can't quantify it, I would say, 
you just told me that the only things that exist are things that you can quantify and measure. <laughs> so it's it's an internal contradiction. Of course, no human being actually believes that, except it's the basis of our medical system. And so we believe that this so-called mind is a somehow attached to the brain, and we then dissect the brain in an attempt to find the mind, which is no different than listening to your radio and thinking, I'm going to find out where that guy is who's talking, and so I'm going to dissect my radio and find out where he is. Well, the problem is he doesn't live in your radio, <laughs> and you can dissect that radio all you want, and you're not going to find the little guy who's saying, talking about viruses. <laughs> He's not in there. Uh, but that's the superstition that we live on under. So, you know, what is a mind? A mind actually has a connection with the brain. The, bra the, the organism uses the brain as a sort of radio transducer. And one of the reasons I know that is because all these energy signals, similar to radio waves, that your radio basically put, picks up waves, invisible waves, uh, and turns them through some transistor kind of apparatus, which I don't really understand, into sound. And something similar happens in your brain. Your brain, insofar as it's tuned properly, picks up signals from the universe and the world and your friends and, and animals. Some people are better at it than others, so they have a better functioning, quote, mind. And other people only have a broken radio and they pick up aberrant static signals. Uh, that's actually most of the scientific community. So they pick up signals. And the whole point is, is the way I understand your question is, what do I do to tune my mind? Now, the next thing to understand is the brain is the organ in the body that has the highest content of water. It's about 80% water by, by weight as opposed to 70% of the rest of the body. And the reason is, is because water is the medium that accepts these invisible signals called frequencies or whatever, waves like radio waves. Uh, we don't, our brains or our mind doesn't accept radio waves, but it sex, accepts other signals. And it turns that into action, either thoughts or feeling or actual activity. So the way I answer that question is I try to purify the water in my tissues. And I do that by drinking pure water, by communicating directly with my water, because we know that if you communicate directly with the water, the water picks up those signals and changes its shape and becomes a better receiver. And I also use, you know, things like biogeometry and a device called the ANG3 device, all of which have to do with essentially tuning my water so that I become better at receiving signals. You see, most people would say, well, if I don't hear it, that signal, it's not there. That's like saying I have an old radio and it only gets one signal, so I know the rest of the signals aren't there. It's actually ludicrous. Mm. So it's all about tuning your radio so that you get more and more and more signals. And, you know, that's essentially my whole life. So it's hard to distill that into, you know, one sentence or so.
Fair enough. When, when you talk about communicating the water, I, I thought of Dr. Emoto yes. and his message. Is, is that what you were getting at? That is one way of doing it. You know, he put actually, you know, a, a friend of mine did the following experiment. He put a, a bunch of, of rice in a jar, mason jar, in water on his counter. Uh, two identical, he weighed out the rice, weighed out the water, two identical, more or less, mason jars, put them on a, a separate part of his counter. And then for a month, every day, he went up to one of the jars and said, thank you. And the other jar, he said, you're an idiot. And he waited. And at the end of the month, the one that said he said thank you to was a sweet-smelling fermented rice drink, which you could actually drink. And the one that he said was an idiot was a foul-smelling goop of you know, stuff that you wouldn't want to have anywhere near your mouth. Wow. And that's just an example of, A, how water is a receiver for any kind of energetic impulse, including thoughts or including uh, sound, both of which are kind of energetic impulses. And it also gets to your question of, of this had a direct effect on what you asked about before, which is the microbial population. In this case, it's in the, a jar, but it could easily be in your gut. So if you're walking around, A, thinking you're stupid or saying you're stupid or feeling afraid because you think that there's something out there that's going to harm you when it actually can't, uh, you will be, you are creating this stinky mess in your tissues and in your gut. And as you said earlier, we're 70% water and our brain, you said, is 80% water. About, and we're 99.99% of the actual molecules in us are water. Uh, so we're basically watery tissue with a few other things dissolved in it, which essentially help organize the water. And then the water controls the expression of the DNA. It controls the signals that you receive and the outputs that you put out. Uh, it controls the microbial growth. It basically controls life, which is why without water, there's no life. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, that just uh, makes me think of so many different things. I have some fermented foods going and I feel like I should probably put messages and just see how that goes to put like a message of love versus some other message. That's that's really fascinating that you can communicate to the, the liquid and to the microbes. Amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and this gets into the the heart of science. And let me let me tell you a, a little story that I think dramatizes where we went wrong. You see, you would think that science is a process of you observe the world and then you try to understand how that happened. But what actually happens is nowadays we, we conclude with certain theories about the way it's supposed to happen. And then we go about looking for evidence of that. And here's a story that dramatizes that. So uh, this was told by a friend of mine who was basically knew a, a bunch of archaeologists who studied the native uh, people in Australia called the Aborigines for, for decades. And he noticed that they could do something very interesting, which was 
if there was families who were separated by a number of miles and one of them, they were wandering around and one of them came to a good watering hole or a good place where they could camp for a while, they would somehow communicate with the rest of their tribe and family members something like, hey, we found a good place, you should go turn left at the acacia tree and whatever, and you'll find it. And they were perplexed as to how they did this because they didn't, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have a telephone, they didn't use smoke signals, they didn't do anything that anybody could observe. Yet it was unmistakable that it basically worked all the time. So here, was, here comes the problem. The anthropologist, not archaeologist, said, well, we need to study this. So the way we study things in Western science is we set up a double-blind study so that you don't know whether you're doing it. Otherwise, it will confound the results. So they explained to the Aborigines, we want you to do this and, and tell the people in your village to go here, but you're not allowed to know whether you're doing it or not. Because that's the rules. That's how we prove things. And they said, well, if we don't know whether we're doing it, it won't work because that's the whole point. And they said, no, then it won't be a scientific experiment. So you can't do so you can't do that. So they said, apparently, all right, we'll give it a try. And it didn't work because they didn't know whether they were doing it. And then they concluded that that way didn't work. <laughs> and that's how we do science. We say, I don't understand that somehow you could communicate with water and change the microbial activity in rice. Therefore, it doesn't exist. Even though you can do it over and over again and get the same result, and you can tell your, your gut that you're, you have a stupid gut, a lot of people do that, or that it's toxic, or this food or that food, even though it's actually good food, you shouldn't eat because... I read on Dr. So-and-so's website that, you know, milk is bad for people and that, you know, whatever. Um, so I shouldn't do that because I believe that. And you will create a toxic environment in your tissues and in your gut. And, of course, science doesn't believe that because they only believe in things they can measure or quantify. So, they t so your doctor will tell you that didn't happen, even though it did. And that's where we're at. So, Tom, I interviewed Roland McCready uh, a few weeks ago. And one of the things he said is they have an expression at HeartMath, which is, what are you feeding into the field? And this, this notion that it's not just what we say, it's not just what we do, but it's also what we're thinking, what we're feeling. Um, and this just relates to me uh, to exactly what you're saying. What are we feeding into the field? Yes. And, and feeding, it means everything from food and water and relationships and thoughts and feelings. You know, we, we have this theory that we should impoverish our lives because we're told those things don't exist or they don't have relevance. And, you know, I would love to see a double blind study showing that feelings and emotions and thoughts have no relevance for human health. As soon as I see that study, I'll believe it. <laughs> Because I don't think it exists. I would agree with you. Um, Tom, my final question. This is kind of a fun one. And I'm just going to throw it out at you. See where you take it. If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 40, I'm not sure how old you are, but 40 or 45 years, 
What words of wisdom might your current self share with the younger Tom? So every mistake I made, including in my life and in my work and even in my books, came from one source and one source only. I, came, I would come to a, a fork in the road and something inside me would say, I don't know if I believe this. And the other side said, everybody in the world believes this, so it must be true. <laughs> and whenever I decided to capitulate and agree with the way that I was supposed to think, that was a terrible mistake. And I would have told myself, don't do that anymore. If you don't buy it, then just don't buy it. Go with whatever it is. And that's what we do. We censor ourselves. We have a sense that this, this cannot be, but yet everybody believes it. And the social costs for not believing it or for believing it are too high. And I'll lose my job and my wife will leave me and I won't be able to make a living. And Anyways, I'll be ostracized and people make fun of me. And I would tell myself, don't worry about it. Just keep going. It's not that you won't make mistakes, but at least you make mistakes because they're your mistakes. Beautifully said, Tom. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of the old Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So here's to getting started today, right now. Living with awareness, living with intention, and living with purpose. Stay well, everyone.